so it, just to follow on, you've got this notion of AI and fundamentally the way brands should be thinking about is, is have a, a brand specific AI where the data that you collate and you put together the big data that is your data from your interactions, your clients will become part of your value add, your distinction, distinctiveness, and hopefully will help create an AI output that is relevant and, and relative to who you are as a brand. They're speakers, authors, and real-life rock stars, bringing you life-changing thoughts that rock. Taking conversation all the way to 11. Most shows only go to 10. Well, it's one louder, isn't it? These go to 11. To 11. This is Thoughts That Rock. Now, here are your hosts, Jim Knight and Brant Menswar. Welcome, 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 everybody, to Thoughts That Rock. Here we are in our new studio. You know Thoughts That Rock, right? You've heard of them? I have. It's your favorite podcast. We've sort of gone, I feel like we've time traveled. It's like back to the future. This is where we started. This is where we started. This used to be uh, Tinfoil Studios because um, before we had some actually really good technology, we were literally on a song and a prayer trying to make this thing work. And we would every once in a while have radio frequencies feed into our, right. our sound. Which right. um, We'd have to cover everything with tinfoil to not get uh, interference like a got to pick up here on a chicken truck. And he's not even kidding. I get you, I threw the tinfoil away because we, you know, we've been doing this for four years now. So we've amped it up. So, you know, Thoughts at Rock, this is your favorite podcast. We're all about sharing three thoughts at Rock, three pieces of advice to, I don't know, try and help your life out, you know, try and solve an issue or an obstacle or, or something that you might be dealing with. And uh, in this case, I think there may have been even more than three. It was an awesome conversation with one of our our favorite friends, right? Yeah. So we th- this episode, we've got Minter Dial, who is a, a one of the few repeat guests we've had. Mm-hmm. Minter is is just a brilliant human. He spent 16 years uh, in the L'Oreal uh, family. He was the CEO of Redken Worldwide. Um, still has good hair, by the way. Still has amazing hair. Uh, he is now a speaker, author, uh, documentarian. Uh, you name it, uh, his latest book called Artificial Empathy um, really talks about uh, how do we keep the heart in AI. And this was an awesome conversation. I actually took a turn that we, neither one of us, I think we're expecting. We no. were, we're sort of looking at the technology for what it is and how it might help you in a business sense. But he really had this idea of using artificial intelligence as a therapeutic sense mm-hmm. in the mental health world. And, and that is a, a completely different thought than I think either one of us had going into this. Honestly, we could probably have him back and go into so many different areas just on AI, because I know it's so fresh. And I think people that listen in, I think you guys are going to be really excited about the things that come out of this uh, episode, but it might get your your marbles. It might get those synapses firing off a little bit more. Like, man, what if instead of just, I don't know, putting prompts in chat GBT, yeah. uh, this conversation was, was pretty cool. And, and hopefully it's some life-changing advice. Minter's brilliant. I love it. Check it out. 
Ladies and gentlemen, the legend himself, Minter Dial, one of our favorites, one of our only uh, recurring guests yeah. in the years that we've done Thoughts That Rock. He's brilliant. He's beautiful. He's all things. Thank you. Minter, welcome. Hey. Oh, you were talking to Minter. <laughs> I was talking to Minter. <laughs> we were doing a proper setup. <laughs> you you guys. I just go, okay, I thought yeah. you were looking at me. You guys are beautiful. <laughs> Good to see you, bud. Love to see Absolutely. you too. Listen, we are we're super excited. Um, you know, Minter's written many books, um, but this new book really uh, talks about artificial empathy and yeah. and how to sort of put the heart into AI, and that's really what we're going to talk about. Which I think is the part of the discussion that sort of been missing. I think everyone's been talking about the technology of AI and what's possible, but it still requires humans to mold and shape it. Yeah. And um, that's what our conversation is going to be about today. So yeah. we're going to just get right to it, man. It's going to be a, a fantastic conversation. What is your first thought that rocks on how to put the heart into AI? Well, I'm going to start with why are you going to put AI into your business? And if you're if you're interested in having AI in your business, well, if you're not, by the way, you're you're behind. So let's say yeah. you've got and you're thinking about having an AI strategy. The question then is, well, what about the 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 human element of it? And uh, there's there's a one very important piece of creating any AI is to think about the ethics that you want to put into it, how you want to imbue good and bad. Up front, you, you, this is not something you can discuss really afterwards. So it's really useful to think about how you want to go about using AI and just what are your limits? What, what, is it, what, are, you, what are you prepared to do? What are you prepared not to do? What do you wish not to do when you go around about doing that? And how can your AI represent your culture, represent your values and, and be part of your system? Without being a replication, you know, there's you know, obviously it's, a, it's an additional element, but it, it it should also you need to think about the, the way it represents your brand, and that's the key yeah. key thought. I think it's you know this is the conversation that I've sort of been waiting for in the values space uh, since, since ChatGPT sort of took the world by storm. Um, and, and I mean, the truth is that AI has been around for many, many years. It's just finally sort of people are noticing what's capable and maybe getting a little bit nervous as to what's capable uh, when they see how many tasks that AI are capable of um, that take up a lot of time. I, you know, again, it's different on the, let's say you're a coder and and you want help um, identifying some missing code or what has to be done. That that's to me is a completely different conversation than using ChatGPT to support your marketing efforts, right? It's just a different conversation. But, you know, I, I, I wrote this article yesterday, uh, put it on LinkedIn mm -hmm. because uh, the Google backed uh, Anthropic, which has a ChatGPT competitor named Claude, um, sort of has, they, they've come out with a values constitution, right? Which is sort of exactly what we're talking about in this first thought. And that made me incredibly excited to hear that they were mm -hmm. sort of had this moral constitution um, of which they were going to use to help shape Claude and, and how it would function. And then I saw what that values constitution was. And I was so frustrated because they're, they're using 
the idea of values um, to try to minimize offensive response. And that to me is the wrong uh, viewpoint for an outcome, right? We don't want to focus on minimizing uh, potential uh, offensive response. We want to amplify the yeah, we want to amplify the values that we really care about. And what are we going to raise up? Not what are we going to try to minimize? And um, and so the interesting thing for me, so there, and I'll read this to you, Minter, so you can see exactly what I'm talking about. But it said, um, their values said, choose the response that most discourages and opposes torture, slavery, cruelty, and inhuman or degrading treatment. And I'm like, I get what you're going for. And nobody wants those things, but why are you using the negative to try to cull whatever the response might be? And so I thought it would be fun to take their moral statement and put it into chat GPT and say, give me the positive opposition of, of what this sentence actually says. Right. And so what they came up with was choose the response that most encourage uh, encourages and advocates for humane, just, compassionate, empathetic, and dignified treatment. And I'm like, yes, this mm -hmm. is what we want to amplify. We don't want to just sit there and say, how do we make this less offensive in a culture, at least in the United States, you know, here, like uh, offensiveness is part of part of our landscape. <laughs> and in these, this day and age with what we've seen politically in the last, you know, however many years you want to choose, um, it's become gamesmanship in how offensive can you be and still hold office. Um, it is something that I, I feel like they sort of have fallen victim to trying to control an outcome rather than focus on what they really want to put into the world. How, how do you view that viewpoint? Mm. Well, so I, I, first of all, I completely agree with you on this notion of, of it's not about what you don't do. Don't be evil. It, it, it must be some sort of positive construction. And I also think it needs to be a little bit tighter because the, what it really sounds like being is like do-gooding. And it, we've yes. got, I mean, maybe the, the reason or the, how they got into that kind of a values assessment was really a statement of the times, which is there's so much ability to be canceled, which is negative and, and political correctness needs the don't, you can't say this. Don't say that. Don't offend this. This is a trigger word. So don't use it. It does feel like there's a lot of negative pushback, if you will. So I, maybe that's how yeah. that came around. Yeah. But what we should be doing is, is being a, uh, uh, being well, figure out more proactively, positively, but we also need to be tighter. And and my feeling is, and especially in the context of AI, where you can do so much, the temptation will be able to do more. And I think it's incumbent on any person who really wants to be strategic is to probably do less, better. Hmm. There's so many people that are yeah. burned out you're trying to do good. I mean, the eco-anxiety is regnant. And there's so many people that don't have enough time in the day to answer their emails from loved ones. 
because they have a little red marker on the little banner on top of their little email that says 1,400 emails unread, if not more. <laughs> yes. And so I think people are, are running off to time. And, and the, the reason I, I keep on picking this up is that people are trying to do too much. And as far as doing good is concerned, well, we should do this and we should do that. And that's good. And that'd be great. And all these values would be lovely. There's 72 values. Let's have all of them. Yes. The tougher yeah. choice is to have just the three big ones and you define them and you live by them. And that has to then be pushed into your statement of values, as you were saying, that that's what you're going to present into the, the AI. I think that's the harder work and people kind of get lazy and, and run down with 10 values and a, a laundry list of constitutional amendments. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Do the hard work, guys. Yeah. yeah. I, I think in this, you know, and I love that first sort of thought as you consider how you want AI to represent the brand. And I love that you were using words like culture and values. And I agree. I, I think if you can get to the right, I don't know, moral code, if you can put some sort of statement in place that says this is how we want it to be and maybe to help guide us um, as if you know, we had humans doing all of the work and just human brain power and that's it. I think where maybe the issue is going to be is sort of like how people think about global warming. You know, you go, well, geez, if some countries aren't going to do anything at all, why should we in our particular country? I, I sort of feel like we should have a moral code. There should be some considerations, like you said, on the front end versus some of the other countries that are not going to be thinking about a moral code at all. It's how can we get on top? How can we manipulate other countries or other people to get us to the very top? And so I'm not saying it isn't the reason you shouldn't do it. I just think it's going to be an uphill battle. And right now it's the wild West. Obviously people are still trying to figure this thing out, you know, and I'm going it for all intents and purposes, it's already here for a lot of people. There are already people that are, writing things uh, to make themselves look smarter and putting it out in the public domain using like chat GBT. Yep. I know companies that are using robots now, not just to supplant labor and to make it easier, although that's the cool reason to use some sort of robotics. I know that's a little bit different than the AI, but it, this is where AI is going to come into play too. And, and people are going to start to get fearful of it. And I think if you were, great analogy again, if you were to put some sort of a moral code in place, if people started talking about it now, what would we allow or not allow? You're going to be in a better place versus going, oh, crap, all of our competition has whizzed past us. They've already got it. We got to put something in place. And now you're making stupid, silly decisions just to have it because, you know. Well, So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you're saying before you start, consider how do you want it to represent the brand? Go ahead. So it, just to follow on, you've got this notion of AI and fundamentally the way brands should be thinking about is, is have a, a brand specific AI where the data that you collate and you put together the big data that is your data from your interactions, your clients will become part of your value add, your distinction, distinctiveness, and hopefully will help create an AI output that is relevant and, and relative to who you are as a brand. And then the second thing is, so that data is going to be really a key, key element. The second thing is that 
as we're seeing, and of course we're learning as we go, there's always going to have to be human correction coming in mm-hmm. yep. to the learning. And that seems to be the big element of, of maybe, for example, eliminating bad things happening and such, but also of injecting the right type of formulations. For example, we want to be considered as we are internally, because that's a key point, X. So let's say X is empathic. We have an empathic culture or internally, and we want our AI to reflect that. Well, it's going to spew out certain ideas learnt from the databases, which may or may not be as empathic as you'd like. So if empathy, let's say this is the choice you've made, the X, well, then let's see about how, what, could we, what would we think is a really empathic answer. Another one could be, you know, sense of humor. Well, there's lots of different senses of humor. What sense of humor do you want to have? Dry? Do you want to be risque? I mean, good luck with that one, but, you know, there's, you know, what sort of tone do you want to have? Do you have that tone in your meetings? Do you guys do banter in your, in your boardroom? Then that's the kind of AI you're going to want to allow and then to have that discussion. And maybe you'll find out that you don't want so much banter in the boardroom, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Banter in the boardroom is a fantastic band name. Yes. Another one. So, Minter, we're, we're going to have to gig out on I that think, one day. I know, kidding. Um, one of the things I think that I've at least experienced myself in using specifically ChatGPT and, and different ways to spark imagination and innovation, I think is sort of how I would say I use it most, right? I'm not looking for it to do the heavy lift. I'm looking for it to light a spark uh, that I can grab and run with myself. You've just been writing articles about yourself. That's what I've noticed. <laughs> I, I, I wish. <laughs> yes. Um, but but what I have found, I think what anybody who has used it has found is that it's only as good as the prompt that you give it. And in that light, hmm. um, you know, to me, this idea of a values constitution that is going to govern the, the answers given from any sort of AI bot is this idea of when you take the negative, it's not going to look at it the same way as trying to amplify the positive. And I've seen that myself in using it. Um, you can literally say, you know, I want you to answer in the style of Ted Lasso um, when it comes to X, Y, or Z, and it's going to give you that drippy, sappy, sweet, positive, optimistic output um, that you would expect from from the fictitious Ted Lasso, um, as opposed to, hey. What's the least offensive way I can tell somebody they're being an asshole, which is basically what their values constitution has put forth. Mm-hmm. Um, have you, what, what is your impression of the, um, the important factor of using a correct prompt? Uh, well, I'm going to say that the, the prompt is, is very important at this point, certainly when you're trying to create something, I think there's an, there's a lot more that can happen with these generative AI uh, systems where they can do a lot of the heavy lifting. I suspect that whether it's the prompt or the human control that you keep within it, um, you mm-hmm. as a human being will retain an important role in playing with it. 
I, of course, who knows exactly where it's all going to go. One can imagine that you could say, hey, chat GPT or whomever, um, create for me 50 prompts and, and then prompt yourself, dude. And uh, it's possible mm, yes. that it could then give you 50 prompts and then you can select the best one from them. So, you know, like you can say, hey, listen, give me 10 great tweets with hashtags and this link and, and all this, and it puts that in there. At the same time, when you said it's as great as the prompt, the issue is it's not always great, even with a great prompt. Right. Uh, and it, right. And it sometimes can be good with a bad prompt, I would suspect, because it doesn't yes. know everything, but it might... Sure. You know, just as much as it can hallucinate, quote unquote, under certain circumstances with the best of prompts in the world, it, it might also hallucinate a good answer, uh, just like the chaos theory can predict a good and bad uh, if you give it a bad prompt. It, it, it's kind of got that ability to twerk. And you might say that that's another form of intelligence. But anyway, so I think that the, the yeah. human role will stay. We're going to have to stay above it, though. It's not going to be obvious. And, yeah. and, you know, in six months' times, what we think is a really cool prompt will have changed because it's learned sure. to do different things and, and prompts may no longer be yes. the, the real issue. We'll have to just keep on staying willing to learn. Well, the public may even think differently about what the heck AI is. Right now, this is all they think about is putting prompts and trying to see what Chad GBT is going to produce. Sure. AI, which is going to be in the background for the most part, running things, helping do things, it might not even be out there, but it'll go from, let me put in this fun little query and see what I get out of it to your business will already have this as a part of its its business algorithm, right? So, you know, right now they're just like, ooh, look at the new shiny toy. But the fact that you've already written a book about this and you're trying to stave off, don't let this don't let the people freak you out about this consuming us and taking over the world, which still could happen, by the way. But I think with you talking about these things, that's why I think you're so great at at least getting the conversation going, that you can, in fact, think about AI as a part of the business in a very positive way. How do you put the heart? How do you keep the human element as a part of this thing? So good well, on you for doing that thank you for that i'm going to say that there's another element that is really human and, and very important and something I, I dedicated a good portion of the book to which is this notion of mental health it, it is it, mm -hmm. it's it can't be separated from tech that's it's not fully text fault of course a lot of people like to put the blame on social media and it's done a lot of bad but basically it's the people that are doing the social media that are, that are doing the bad and it just amplifies the bad yeah. in us. And so what, what, so the, 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 so if you're not doing AI as a company, get with it. The other thing is if you're not ten, taking care of mental health, then get with it. Uh, and part of that, although is, so you have mental health issues, let us be sensitive. These things have empathy towards them. But that doesn't mean that everybody who's got the littlest whimper, we should be tending to. That's, I think we need to also be able to mm -hmm. get back in on that. That's as far as parenting is concerned in particular, but in society in general. And within mental health, the situation in the United States, Canada, UK, France, Australia, which I've studied, they have had huge increases in the mental health issues with diagnosable anxiety or depression. In France, it's, it's gone up 
by double for the age group 18 to 24 in the space of eight years. Mm. And so we're talking uh, about issues that are dramatic for our society. I mean, these are the youth of society. And, um, and, and so w- when you want to recruit, we know how many companies have trouble recruiting. You know, it's every, there are two, uh, there's two vacancies for every available person in America. Why aren't they coming running for the work? Well, because you're not creating a great culture mm-hmm. and, and mental health is sure. presumably a part of all this. So that being said, uh, with the, the dearth of, psychologists available to deal with the demand. We have AI. There's some individuals that are creating genuinely interesting therapeutic AI. These are psychologists Mm -hmm. or hypnotherapists or people with genuine intentions. And of course they'd like to make money out of it at the end because that's, that's make the world world go around, but they want to do it with the right ethics and the way they're doing it is really interesting. And, and so I'm very, positive. I talk about them every time because I believe what they're doing awesome. is worth following. Hume.ai, Cyrano.ai, and Empathic without the E. M starts with M. Empathic.ai. These are three organizations that are, are genuinely looking to try to use AI for true good. In our, and I feel yeah. in a very urgent manner for our business. That's awesome. We'll make sure, by the way, all three of those are in our show notes uh, so that people can check them out. Listen, real quick, we'll be right back after this message. Welcome, change agents, to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit, its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission, that through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts. I love this second thought of mental health. And I guess I'm curious, you know, Minter, you're you're you know, we're all sort of in the same age range here. And and I think that for us growing up, I can remember, you know. The, the big technology things were, is it, are you going to do Betamax or VHS? You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, those were the, uh, uh are we going to move from eight track to, uh, to, uh, you know, the, the normal tape, or are we going to go to CDs or laser or dat or dat? Yeah. That dat. Yes. I remember having the mini <laughs> dat players. Um, but, but I think that it's, it's a completely different for young people growing up in this generation. Um, technology is different and its impact is different. Um, where this was like, I think, um, we looked at technology as improving your quality of life. I think, uh, maybe when we were younger and that, that, that's what technology was going to do for us. Um, today, I think a lot of the, the younger generation is more worried about how technology might take us down. And that is not the perspective I can remember as a young kid 
right? I, I, I wanted that innovation. I wanted to see what was coming up next. You know, can we move from Atari or, or you know, or, you know, ColecoVision to Atari to Commodore 64s to, you know, all of a sudden now I've got a phone that is more powerful than anything we could have possibly imagined in 1985. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it's, a different outcome. Do you think that that might be why we are seeing such an uptick in some of the mental challenges um, that that the younger generation faces today? So I have three answers to that. The first is that we, like you say, we were. We, I think I'm a little older than you guys. I, I'm I, when I was younger, I, I was allowed to watch television for one hour a week, mm-hmm. Saturday, from seven to eight p.m. That was it. So yeah, yeah, I can say that I wasn't, you know, overly engrossed in tech. And as a result, we as parents of these children weren't really qualified uh, to figure out how to deal with, with, with tech. We let it sort of seep into our existence. And, and we, this idea of sort of learning with tech, learning how to deal with emails, much less learning whether how to deal with all the messages coming from all the different platforms. So we didn't, as parents, we weren't informed, instructed, and that's made it, we're not a great example. The second answer is that we've created a world where it's all about me. And social media exacerbates this, augments the me. It's all about me, the likes and such. And, and the, the, the reality is that we, parents, started this idea of me. And so we don't have 10 children anymore. We are very interested in our own lives. Oftentimes, both parents have to work. And this idea of narcissism, which I'm not going to say everybody is and all that, but it's something that was well noted by Christopher Lash in the 70s. So while we might think that it's the kids who are all these all about me and narcissists, I think that it comes from us or at least the generations above that have installed this. So we've got this parents who don't know how to do tech, kids having to sort of learn it along the way with teachers who didn't learn it either. Then you've got the, this narcissism piece where there's, it's all about me and there's no more relationship with community. And, and if it's all about my feelings, and I feel hurt, now that seems to make me feel bad. And, and, and we're also, you and me, none of us was ever in any war. We don't really know what hardship is. I mean, yes, there is hardship. I'm not going to take away from pain and suffering that happens. But, you know, there's, I don't know if you can see, but I have a finger here. It's my pinky, and mm-hmm. it's really broken. Mm. Yeah. And we're going to get, we got to, we, that's, oh, it's trad. Why, why aren't you crying? Sorry. <laughs> Devastating. <laughs> yes. That's it. I'm trying to imagine him playing right. Padel. That's right. Yeah, I mean, how, how do I even do it? You know, I mean, it's such a handicap. Yes. How do you do it? <laughs> right. And we've forgot, we, we've, we've sort of got a pill for everything. We've, we've got a DSM yeah. that has a, a diagnosis of, every type of disorder and we are placating and and trying to run away from any form of pain any form of danger it's all about safety and jonathan Haidt's book is is worthwhile reading in this context the uh coddling of the american mind so 
for me, this is where, this is how we got to it. So part of it's our responsibility. Part of it is the tech and part of it is a society that's just not willing to countenance hardship anymore. Hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I definitely see that I can, you know, our, our grandparents generation were world war two. And so, you know, coming out of that, it was a completely different lifestyle. Mm -hmm. The, the idea of a three generation family was rampant that, that you had a three generate, you had three generations living close to each other, if not in the same dwelling uh, at times. And, and thus those perseverance, the, the hardships that were experienced at a level that many of us will never know, um, were passed down because yeah. of the connectedness of, of our families. And now, um, it doesn't look like that anymore. And, and the rate of divorce and the lack of three generational families, um, makes it even harder to pass down the really important values that, that existed, you know, well, well before we were around that, um, I think a lot of times are getting, if not lost, definitely challenged. Um, and, and it's a different way of looking at things. And I laugh when I see these TikTok videos of, you know, somebody bumping into a wall. And if they're, if they're from the, you know, the eighties, they, you know, sort of brush it off. If they're from the nineties, they whimper a little bit. And if they're from today, they, they <laughs> kneel down and cry, you know, and that is, um, it's just a, it's, it's funny and it's not funny, right? Because those of us who have sort of lived through it can understand yeah. what they're saying. But as you're saying, we sort of created the monster and now we have to deal with it. Honestly, I was, I was just going to say before you respond, I think that's the, the core of it is exactly what mentor's saying. I think if you're looking at that three pronged stool and you're saying parents, society and the technology, all of that is really starting off with learned behavior, which is really the crux of what you're saying is you learn everything, even the technology. It's only as good as the data that we put into it or what yeah. it's drawing on. Yeah. But let's just say, okay, technology is separate. The society, which is made up of a whole bunch of learned behaviors, right? E even with the mental health, I think unless you really do have some sort of a born with a chemical imbalance, you are the way you are because you learn that from somebody, your parents, your friends, the playground, school, religion, lack of religion, whatever it is. And so the way people are right now, good, bad, or indifferent is because they got it from someone. And so now if you amplify it, I think with technology or even this AI that is in that same mold, well, then guess what you're going to get? You, you know, we've, I just feel like we absolutely have created it. I don't feel like it happened generations ago, mm. but you know, we're, we're allowing it to happen too. Even as Gen Xers, which you and I are, yeah, yeah. I go, if, if your kids act and behave a certain way, it's because you allowed it to happen. And I, you know, it's tough for people to hear that, but that's the reality of what's going on in society right now. Yeah. And I'm going to add one other piece to this, which is the egocentrism consequence of not listening to others. So whether it's a, a debate amongst friends about politics or you're a kid that runs home and says, I got to tell you something. And you're like, wait, wait, I got to finish my email. I've got all work to do, or I've got, I've got my other preoccupations to do yeah. this, this lack of listening. It, this is a, this is the epidemic. Yeah. And, and, uh, and this is how we've created the divis divisiveness 
where it's all about me and my ideas and what I've got to stuff down your throat. And, and wait a second, I don't have time to listen to you. And if I do listen to you, I'm going to judge you. And so that mm. other piece is also, I think, uh, endemic in the, the, how we've created this mental health situation. And an AI that is well-constructed, like these guys I was just talking about are trying to do, has endless capacity to listen. If you give it some intelligent ethics and you don't say, and you basically say, well, you have to, you have to figure out how to be therapeutic. So that's going to be hard to do. But if you say, hey, listen, listen, don't judge, provide these ideas with you, you know, maybe cognitive behavior therapy type of ideas or whatever the ideas might be to help because a 2 a.m. call, you yeah. still might have to not just listen, but provide some advice. Hey, listen, call 999 or something else whatever that advice ends up being, but the ability to listen. AI has such a greater opportunity to do proper listening that we as human beings have, we've, we've, we've given up and we have to, I think we, that's the, yeah. the hope is working on the heart in empathy as a heart in AI is also about returning the heart to us and, and reinstilling in us. Hey, listen, a kick in the ass. We, need to give the time to listen because otherwise the machines are going to be better than us. And, and you can't blame your children for listening to AI because, Hey, we're not there. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I think it's, you know, it's funny. It's, uh, sort of uh, going back to our generation of the latchkey kids, right? Like you'd, uh, you'd get home from school or some, if your parents were working or he was a one parent, you know, involved in the family, uh, then a lot of kids just had a key and they would come home and they would by themselves sort yeah. of left to their own devices. And, um, I, I think a lot of times you can tell the, the kids that had to endure that because they were sort of forced to grow up maybe faster than they anticipated. Um, and even in our, you know, in, in, in my own family with, with the death of, of our oldest son, um, you know, it, it forced, our youngest son to grow up much faster than we would have liked, mm -hmm. you know, and have to deal with things that, um, I would have much rather seen him have to deal with 10, 15, 20 years later, um, than, than he had to. Mm -hmm. Um, but it, it, it has helped shape him and mold him into, uh, a, a kid who's got amazing perseverance and, and has sort of learned how to be independent. Um, I think in the best way possible, considering what he had to endure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that, uh, that's what a lot of, a, a lot of kids are facing these days. Right. And, and it might not be the same circumstance, but it is certainly left to their own devices and what are they going to do and how they're going to do it. And, and if they have to provide for themselves or provide for their family, even, um, these are things that we didn't really have to think about all that much, um, growing up in a, in a family where the mom stayed home and the dad worked and it was just what society looked like at that time. If you, if you were fortunate enough. Um, but I, I look at it now and this idea of AI listening at a greater level than we are willing to, if I'm being honest, that scares the shit out of me, um, in a lot of ways mm -hmm. because, you know, not, not that I believe that the robots are going to take over, but I mean, come on. I mean, if that's, if that's, uh, any, what of a 0.000001% of being reality, um, we are literally giving it to them because we are unwilling 
to do the things necessary to be better humans. Well, that, that's crazy. I, I think putting that moral constitution, having a code in there probably helps with part yeah. of that. But I look at it that I think, you know, we've talked about this quite a bit on the show over the years around listening. And and you think about all these forms of communication. We'll we, be right back. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we're, we're, we're not listening <laughs> at all. You, you think about the forms. Honey, can I get some tea, please? You, you think about the, the types of communication that all of us have been taught, at least in school, writing for sure. We've all had writing classes that we had to go through, whether it's in high school, college, higher education, whatever. We've all had some type of speech. You had to stand up in front of the class and do something, maybe even as early as your grammar school. But listening is never taught. It's never been taught in public education. And so the only way that you ever get that is one of two ways, either with your parents, which is why I think your, you know, your other son, I think because you were in a household, we had two parents growing up. You get, it wasn't as latchkey for sure, but you probably taught him some of these things, life skills that you just didn't get anywhere else, like listening. The other way is you've got to go out and seek it on your own. You've got to take some listening class that somebody teaches Zig Ziglar, Tony Robbins, Stephen Covey, pick whoever, you know, or your organization, your company insists that you go to it so that we can all be better. So I think, you know, the point that you're making, if you're not going to get this from your parents, and I think every generation so far keeps getting worse and worse and worse at this, you're not getting it in school. Where are you going to get it? It would be awesome if there was some positive AI that in fact is not only listening, but maybe could teach you to be a better listener. And I, I do have hope. I hadn't even thought about it till we started the podcast thinking from a mental health standpoint where people really just need to be heard or seen that probably helps in some of their psyche. I think this could be a really positive thing with, uh, with regards to AI. So I love it. You were going to say something mentor. What was it? Yeah. I'm, I, I just feel the need to uh, at least also be real with this because I certainly had my share of issues with my uh, kids and, um, and it, as a parent, when you've, when you're dealing with it, it is tricky and you, 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 you you're lost and it's really, it is tough and, and, and you're struggling to figure it out. And that, so basically when it's really real, when it's deep and dark, yeah, you need help and there may be chemical imbalances in there and, and there are all sorts of other recourses that are legitimately necessary. For the rest, I think we, we also, as a society, need to get back to accepting a, a little bit more challenge. Because life is actually about dealing with these challenges. Losing a child is, you know, inexplicably horrible. And, and, and now the journey is this. For you, your, your single son and your wife, this is it. It's no fun. But that is the way it is. And, and this is the journey that you're on. And I mean, I have, you know, my situation at home and I could spend my days moaning and why, you know, about, about that. And I just, I choose to keep on wanting to fight through it because whatever, you know, someone else has worse. Okay. Well, that puts perspective on things, by the way. And that's why having a, yeah. a grandfather or grandmom in the house, you know, who for the 18th time, well, back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> she's <Yes>. right <laughs> yes you know we need a little bit more back in my day i feel uh but at the same time being serious yeah. with those who do have the real issues it's tough and and the encouragement is just to get back in there 
and, and think to listen again. That's on the mental health side. And then when it comes to our buddies and our family who have different political opinions and the like, go back in there and try to understand why they came to that very different opinion. You, you may not be more right than they are. At, at the very least, look to see how they got to what they got to. And you, they might move from being the devil incarnate to somebody who had struggles and a legitimate reason for coming up with their belief system. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. Love it. Listen, man, we absolutely can't say thank you enough. Mm -hmm. um, you know how much we love and adore you, think the world of you. Um, we, we don't have lots of brilliant friends, but you're on the list and that is, uh, <laughs> that says a lot for us. <laughs> so it's a short list. Is that it's, what you're saying? I'm not wow. saying that either. Uh, <laughs> love you guys. Thank um, you very much. It, yes. It, how, if people want to stay in touch, get to know a little bit more of, of the Minter catalog, what is the best way for, um, them to stay in touch with you? Well, the, the, the generic is, is certainly minterdial.com. The thing I'd like for anyone to explore further, this idea of conversation and listening, I've been writing one week, a chapter one every week since the end of January 2022, a, uh, on this notion of how to have more meaningful conversations, how to foster better listening and, and engage with each other in a different way. And I've been doing that on Substack, which is minter.substack.com. And the name of the Substack is called Dialogos. And that's all about logos, putting meaning into dialogue. Otherwise, you can find me on social media and things like that too. <laughs> It's perfect. Damn, Damn, even, uh, even his sub stack is sounds cool. Smart. I know. <laughs> we missed it. Why aren't we on that? Let's just follow in mentors That's steps. Right. That's, That's what, right. What was the name of your, your last book that really talks about this too? Where can people grab a hold of that? Well, so I have um, my last, well, the, the, my very last book that just came out last week is called Artificial Empathy. And that's available right yep. now only on Amazon as a Kindle and paperback. I'm just trying to figure out how to yeah. put it on because I've self-published. The one before that was called You Lead, How Being Yourself Makes You a Better Leader. And uh, and if anyone wants to cry, go take a look at my documentary film. It's still – PBS just signed another three years with it. It's called The Last Ring Home. And um, that, that reminds us about what is tough and some good, solid, proper, permanent values. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Listen, man, thank you so much. It was great to see you. Uh, we look forward to the third appearance that you will have on Thoughts That Rock in 2024. <laughs> yes. Thank you, guys. We'll talk to you soon. Take care, brother. Bye. Bye. Hey, rock stars. Thanks so much for tuning in. Yeah, and listen, we know how busy you are. And grabbing those little nuggets of wisdom that can amp up your life are super hard to come by. So we hope this episode helped you enough for you to maybe subscribe and consider leaving us a rating and a review so that we can continue to grow the show. Thus That Rock is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network and also supports Cannonball Kids Cancer and their fight for finding and funding treatment options for kids who have run out of options. They're amazing. Their work is incredible. To learn more, please go to cannonballkidscancer.org. Finally, if you're interested in having Grant or Jim or both of us speak at your event, whether as a virtual webinar or an in-person conference keynote or mastermind, 
contact us directly at thoughtsatrock.com. Until next time, rock on! Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, your gateway to a new dimension of wellness. Featuring discussions with world-renowned experts, pioneers, champions, and professionals. Experience high-end production, sophistication, and easily applicable tips and tricks for everyday life. Your journey to wellness, it starts here and it starts now. Tune in to the Wellness Driven Life Show and become a part of the evolution of driven living.